See you. Welcome, welcome to all of you on this wonderful, wintry April day. It is great. It's messing with my mind, messing with my emotions, and um, I'm here to worship God in spite of it. And so, um, guys, it is good to see you today. I am uh, Rollin. Yes, I am yeah, I'm making a declaration. My name's Rollin. <laughs> My name's Rollin. I'm the lead pastor here. If I don't know you yet, I look forward to getting to know you and had bunches of great things going on these past couple of weeks. Um, again, um, happy birthday to Rach. Yes, that's you, Rach. Yes, Rach. Happy birthday yesterday to Johnny. Okay, whenever uh, uh, they come back uh, next week, uh, please give um, a great big old love fest to um, Adam and Martina, who just got married this uh, past Friday. Um, that's exciting and good. And so, all types of good things going on. When you see Leslie again, give her like love and hugs. She got baptized this past weekend. You know, so just good things going on all around, right? So, but this is Passion Week, as uh, Pastor Cole said. This is Passion Week, and what we've been doing um, over the course of the season of Lent is we've been going through a series called The Inside Job, where we've been going through the book or the epistle, the letter of First Peter uh, to the churches and helping them understand God's general revelation, which is his directives to the church at large. He wasn't just addressing uh, specific or individual issues that have come up up in the church throughout history, but he was dealing with the things that are going to, at some point, at some time, be relevant to all of us. And so what we've been talking about is we've been talking about First Peter in the sense of an acronym, because whenever we're going through the season of Lent, what we want to do is we want to have a posture before God, saying, God, do something fresh in me. During this season, do something in my heart, do something in my mind that will take me deeper in my love for you, deeper in my devotion to you and help me to walk with you more steadfastly. And so we've been using the acronym of FIRST to actually allow God to do an inside job in us, to allow us to put him first in our lives. He belongs on a throne, and we've got to allow him to be there in our interactions with him. And so as we've been going through this series, uh, the acronym FIRST has been broken up um, over the course of the past several weeks into several parts. When we started the series, we talked about to put Jesus first, we've got to have focus, right? And everybody said amen to that, right? It doesn't just happen happenstancely. We don't just fall into it, but we've got to give God focus if we're going to put him first. Secondly, as we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, we saw that God was very intent on giving us an identity in Christ, an identity in Christ that actually shapes our days, our thinking, our interaction with him and others. Last week, um, um, we had a guest speaker, but the week before that, Pastor Cole talked about reverence and having a proper reverence for God in our hearts and in our minds, setting apart Christ Jesus as Lord. And then today, what we're doing in honor of the Passion Week is we're going to talk about something that uh, isn't always uh, pleasant but it actually was represented well in the passion of the Christ. And to actually put Jesus first in our lives, what we've got to embrace is an S word called suffering. Suffering. 
the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That before Jesus was crucified, before he went to the grave, and before he was resurrected in triumph from the dead, there is something called suffering that he endured. And as Christians, it's often the case that in our present modern culture, it's a topic that we like to avoid. When we talked about it as part of our Explore God series, we talked about it in more of a terms of an apologetic, right? Sort of why does God allow pain and suffering in the world? But today we're going to talk about it in terms of more the understanding that the Christian needs to have if they're going to serve God faithfully. Because so many times when we come to God, we've, we've seen people over the years come to Jesus, say a prayer, actually give a sincere appeal to him saying, God, I want to serve you with my life. And they last for a period of time, but then over the course of weeks or months or even years, something happens and something gets in the way. And somebody who at at one time was passionate about Jesus, they lose it, right? And they're not as passionate anymore. Has anybody had friends or family members like that before? Okay, you've seen that like once they were, uh, and this is very particular to me because, um, again, I did not grow up in the church, as many of you know. I didn't grow up in the church and I didn't start off in Jesus but I've been walking with Jesus for more years of my life now than I've been walking without him, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But the thing about it is, is that it's very particular to me because there was a friend of mine who was very instrumental in leading me to the Lord. And this friend of mine would continually pursue me. He would continually come after me. He would pray for me. He would invite me. He would actually reach out to me over and over again. And I would deny him over and over again. Was anybody like that before? Was anybody like me? You had somebody, whether a family member or a friend, came after you and were like, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. And then finally God got a hold of you. Okay? That was this friend of mine. And over the course of um, many months, I actually came to Jesus uh, through his effort to reach out to me. And we started walking with God over a period of time. And Uh, We grew up in the Lord, I'd say, together. But what happened after a period of time is that uh, we both got married. (laughs) We both got married. He got married to his college sweetheart. I got married to my college sweetheart. That's my wife, B, who's in the uh, children's ministry right now. And uh, they were uh, like, we were roommates. This guy who helped lead me to the Lord, I was, uh, his, uh, our college sweethearts were roommates. So it's sort of like we did things in tandem together, right? But then as we started to go through the uh, affairs of life after college and the real world, as we'll call it together, uh, he hit some road bumps. He hit some road bumps and some obstacles, And in the midst of his obstacles, he encountered some, what we'll call, suffering. He encountered some suffering, and uh, eventually uh, they ended up in counseling uh, together. And in the counseling, uh, unfortunately, weren't willing to come to full repentance in the ways that they needed to. And in the midst of them not coming to repentance, eventually separated as a couple, got divorced as a couple, and that sent my friend into a tailspin. It sent my friend into a tailspin so much so that as he moved, he was a lawyer and moved to New York and was working his 70-hour weeks, he began to drift further and further away from Jesus and the church. And I would go after him and I would say, hey, listen, man, remember, you're the one who led me to Jesus, 
Remember the good news that he has for you. I know you've hit some suffering. I know you hit a roadblock, but God is still true. God is still good. God is still faithful. God is still who he is despite the suffering, right? And um, in the midst of that, eventually, unfortunately, uh, not only did he cut off his contact with the church, but he cut off contact with me. And I haven't spoken to him in many years now. And so what we see is that there was something inside of him that was familiar with the good news of Jesus, but the good news of Jesus to the extent that it was only a conduit to make his life better, okay? To make his life better. But when suffering was introduced into the picture and there were real trials that were introduced into the picture, there was something fundamental in his faith that didn't keep him. And so often what happens is that if people don't have a theological understanding that the suffering of Christ is also part of their faith, then when, not if, but when trouble comes, it's easy to backtrack. It's easy to go astray. It's easy to find yourself in the parable of Jesus, but not like you want it right? Because Jesus, when he talked about the parables, he said there are are people in the world and their heart conditions. And you need to understand that in the life that you're living, you will experience these things. And one heart condition, there are people who receive the word of God, but whenever they don't understand it, immediately the enemy comes and snatches what was sown into them, right? These are the seeds that were sown along the path. There's a second group of people with a heart that they receive the word of God with actually great joy, but because of there not being real a root system grounded in the word of God and the full counsel of God, the whole counsel of God, Not just that he wants to make your life better, not just that he has a salvation for you, but there's suffering on the way to that salvation, right? There's suffering on the way to that salvation. He says, unless you're actually got a root system in you that grounds you in the truths of the faith, then not if, but when persecution or trials come, they quickly fall away because there's no root in them. Then there's another group that obviously comes, and this is what we see often, where it says that they receive the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for pleasures or other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. But God's desire, right? God's desire is that we'd be this fourth kind of soil, this fourth kind of heart, this fourth kind of seed that when we receive the word, and not just part of the word, but all the word, right? The whole counsel of God. We receive it, and um, we receive it, and we, because we're good soil and have a heart that embraces the whole counsel of God, we bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown in the good times and in the bad, in the times of rejoicing and in the times of trial, where we can actually say, like the scripture does, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Isn't that an oxymoron, right? When you face trials of not some kinds, but many kinds. Because we know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must complete its work so that you, Christian, might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's God's desire. That's God's desire for you and for me, that we wouldn't just come to God because he's our sugar daddy. We wouldn't just come to God because it's easy. We wouldn't come to God just because it's convenient but we've come to God because he's righteous and true. First Peter chapter four, he says this, since therefore, 
Christ suffered in the flesh. He's God, right? (laughs) But he's suffering in the flesh. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He's saying part of our maturation process in Christ is to learn to suffer in our relationship with him, in our seeking of him, in our pursuit of him, so that in the midst of our suffering, we might be done with the things that lack no value, the things that bring deception, the things that bring pain, the things that bring the deception in the world, not just to us, but to others. He said, unless you're willing to suffer in your body with the same attitude as Christ did, you will not be done with sin. But when you learn to suffer in your flesh, guess what? The good news is you could be done with sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles, who are people who didn't know God, want to do. Living in sensuality, which is, uh, all Christians, I'm telling you that when you look at the word in the Greek, it's actually another word for licentiousness, right? There's two different um, types of error in the church today, right? There's legalism, where we're putting all types of rules on people, strangling them with the law, and not having them look to Christ for their righteousness and their freedom. But then on the other side, there's licentiousness. And licentiousness basically tells us that we can do anything because we'll be forgiven anyway, right? Both are in error. Both are in error. He says, don't live like the Gentiles do, but put off that licentiousness, otherwise known as sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, Chicago, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Like, man, why, why, why are you holding back? Why don't you just join the party, right? Why don't you just come into the gossip and all the slander that's prevalent in the world around you? It's natural to pit yourself against certain people. It's natural in the workplace to give yourself to certain types of factions in all types of backstabbing. It's natural to do these things. You're foolish to not do those things. Anybody ever experienced something like that before? He says, they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, meaning those who are dead now, that those who that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Ah! Ah! Ah, does that hurt anybody else? Okay, without grumbling. It's not that we don't show hospitality, but it's like, yeah, take this. Yeah, you're welcome. Without grumbling. As each has received a gift, 
Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be, um, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when, not if, but when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you were insulted for the name of Christ, you were blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. I hate that. What? Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Heavy, true. You know, people often uh, used to say, if I can make it in New York, I can make it anywhere, right? <laughs> you remember that saying? Anybody know what I'm playing? Benson, come on. Broadway, all right, it's fine. If you can make it through suffering in your relationship with Christ, you'd probably be able to make it through anything. Because he says that those who suffer in the flesh are done with sin. Are done with sin. Now sin is missing the mark. Lawlessness. It's actually living outside of the will and the commands of God. And what we see here in the scripture is that very plainly, if you are unwilling to suffer, then ultimately you'll be unwilling to do what's right. If you are unwilling to suffer, you will ultimately be unwilling to do what's right. And that's in all aspects of life. It has to do with your relationships, whether it be in the workplace, in your marriage, in your child rearing, in your relationship with God. It has to do with your finances, being disciplined enough to tell yourself no when you need to. Can anybody say amen to that? And not fall into the trap of swipe, swipe, baby, too cold, too cold, right? It's like, listen, to actually give yourself discipline and tell yourself no actually involves suffering. When you are trying to do what's right in terms of a godly response to people and interaction with them, let me tell you, there is suffering that's going on in your body. 
Have you ever tried to do what's right in a relationship before and everything inside of you was screaming to do the opposite? Have you ever tried to live purely in the midst of temptation? Hello? Have you ever tried to live purely? Let me, let me be real clear. Purely, and this is both men and women, in the midst of temptation and found that to do so, it took some suffering in your body. That everything that was going on inside of you was leading you to look one way or look at something and you had to tell yourself, no. Didn't mean that you weren't feeling the way that you were, but to say no, you had to suffer. Have you ever had an altercation in your home? A disagreement, we'll call it. A holy disagreement. A misunderstanding, we'll say. And then looked at one that you should have, you know, loves you more than anybody else outside of that home. And everything inside of you either wants to do one of two things either blow up at them or get real sharp with them, right? There are two types of people the person who blows up anybody, the person who blows up in here. See, I came from a Caribbean family, they so said, we're muy caliente. You know, and so it's like when things come up, it's like, ba-boom, <laughs> right? I mean, I remember in my household when, like, we had to deal with things, it all of a sudden reached a volume level that was, you know, I'm like, listen, man, put in the earplugs because we're going to talk, <laughs> right? My wife, on the other hand, came from an environment where people went internal, right? They went internal, but they got sharp. They got sharp and cutting like a knife. And so they knew precision-wise where to cut, where to like dig in. And that was a bad combination, especially at first. Because I would get loud and my wife would get cutting. And as the louder I got, the quieter she got, and the more angry I got. And if I was ever going to break a cycle of just constant combat in my home, I had to learn to suffer. She had to learn to suffer, Right? Not the volume of my voice, but basically I had to learn to suffer and I had to learn to close my mouth when all I wanted to do was vent. I wanted to give vent to all of my anger and my frustration and all of the reasons why she was not treating me the way that I knew I needed to be treated, right? But to actually get myself under control, like the scripture said, it actually caused suffering in my body. Do you know what I'm talking about? Self-control takes a bit of suffering. To hold my tongue actually took some suffering. And I got headaches. Anybody, let me get real practical. Anybody get a headache before when you're trying to be self-controlled? Anybody ever feel like the veins popping out of your neck? No, this is real, right? This is real. Or when she was controlling her tongue, not getting sharp with me, it caused suffering in her, Right? Because she felt like I was acting like a fool, and she had ways of communicating that to me. But to hold her tongue took some suffering, right? And she was like, you know what? We're not going to talk about this right now. I was like, wait, we're not going to talk about this. I decided we're going to talk. No, it's like, right? It took some suffering. But unless there were, we were willing to suffer in our body, we would not be done with sin, Unless we are willing to actually pursue God and sometimes feel like he's not answering. Anybody have that happen before? 
Anybody ever pray and feel like you got the stone, co- the stone wall and heaven was shut on you? It's like, God, I'm crying out to you in the middle of my pain. I'm crying out to you in the middle of my suffering. I'm crying out to you in the middle of my trial. And I'm hearing nothing. You think that causes suffering? Do you? You better believe it. But has it happened before? If we look at the passion of even Jesus the Christ, we see that he was on his way to the cross to fulfill the will of the Father for the salvation of the world, right? He is right smack dab in the middle of the will of God, right smack dab in the middle of it. But there's something he came to called a garden, and it was the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the middle of the Garden of Gethsemane, it said that he was in so much turmoil, in so much pain, in so much strife, in so much, he was so anxiety-ridden that he began to sweat. The scripture says drops of blood, which is a real medical condition, right? When you have so much anxiety, isn't that right, Jess? <laughs> you have so much anxiety, so much stress in you, right, that the capillaries begin to bust and that you literally begin to sweat blood. That's how much suffering he was in. And you know what he did? He said, I'm in the middle of the will of the Father. But I, and you know what? Jesus, being a both 100% man but 100% God, he actually was in the midst of that garden and he was both. And he said, I'm 100% man. And I'm like, listen, I can't take this. I'm like, Father, if it's at all possible, if it's at all possible, <laughs> remove this cup from me. I don't want it. I, I'm sure you're all wise. You're all good. You are, you're, you're able to do anything, right? Anybody ever have those conversations with God before? God, you're able to do anything. So why don't we like flip the script here? I'm not liking this. I'm actually, I know you're trying to save the world through this, but I'm, I'm, I'm asking you for another option. That's what Jesus was doing in the garden of Gethsemane. I know you're all wise, but I'm asking you for another option. He says, God, if it's at all possible, take this cup from me. And the cup that he was talking about was obviously the cross. The cross that he would have to go to for the salvation of the world. He said, I'm going to have to go to that cross. I know it. I've predicted it. I've talked about it throughout my ministry. I've said over and over again, listen, I'm going to have to take on the sin of the world on myself, die, and three days be in the grave, and by, by, by the, just like Jonah, three days later be resurrected from the dead so that everyone could have not only forgiveness of sins, but new life in me. But when he got to Gethsemane, though he talked about it throughout his ministry, he got to Gethsemane, and there was so much pain, there was so much stress, there was so much anxiety that he was like, okay, I've changed my mind. <laughs> Is there another option here? And he went back to his friends looking for some help because he'd asked them to pray with him and they were asleep. They're like, guys, I just asked for one hour. I'm about to die. I'm about to go into the grave. Could you not pray with me one hour? Come on, guys, wake up. See these drops of blood? Just hand me my towel, right? And he got his answer, obviously, from the father, you know? Who knows? It doesn't say what the father said. But obviously, the father didn't change his mind. And so he went back again and said, okay, one more time. 
Any other way? Same answer, right? And then I love Jesus because it's so, I, I can relate. He went back that third time. He went back the third time. Jesus, the Christ, went back the third time at Gethsemane. He said, okay, fine. If, I, if this cup can't be taken from me, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And he came back to his friends. They were still sleeping. And he was like, all right, whatever. Let's go. Let's go. He learned to obey the Father and love the Father in the midst of suffering. And ultimately, it led to our salvation. No one can say that Jesus doesn't understand your suffering. No one can say that Jesus doesn't understand my suffering. And I'm talking about suffering as it relates to familial relationships. His family thought he was crazy. Nobody can say they don't understand his suffering in terms of what's going on in the physical body. His body was crushed for us. Nobody can say that he doesn't understand suffering when it comes to rejection. Jesus was left and abandoned by those who are committing their lives to him over and over again verbally. But when push came to shove, they were out. Whatever it is that we're experiencing, Jesus understands. Jesus understands. And he says, in the midst of this suffering, I'm charging you to come to the throne of grace. Why? Because I understand. And find mercy and help not when times are just good, but in your time of need. In your time of need. Why? Because suffering is part of his refining work and glorifying work unto himself in us. Unless we're willing to embrace suffering, even in our pursuit with God, we'll ultimately be unwilling to do what's right. Obedience to God many times, not all the time, but many times takes suffering. Doing what's right often, not always, involves pain. And unless you as a Christian are willing to embrace that, there is something that will get you off track. Maybe not now, maybe you don't see it, but he says not if, but when it comes. He says, be ready. Be ready. Because suffering is part of it. I'm going to give you, uh, I was sharing with a good friend this week, just uh, a little bit, I told you to give you a preview, but I'm going to give you like a, basically um, a little picture of a workout that you can go through whenever you're thinking about suffering, at least three areas, okay? How many of you work out in here, okay? How many of you want to work out, okay? <laughs> sort of like, yeah, it's fine. You know, listen, it's sort of like this, you know, you got... Sometimes your upper body days, sometimes your lower body days. When we're looking at uh, the first Peter and how he lays things out, I like for chapters four and five because we're talking about the inside job. And when we're talking about this concept of suffering, we talk about like, first of all, the upper body days or what's going on inside of you, right? What's going on in your heart. And when you get to first Peter chapter five, it's, he's talking about sort of your legs, what happens as an outplay of that, right? And it's sort of like, because of what's going on in my heart, this is what I do with my actions. Okay. But in the upper body days, I think there are at least three things that we need to find. <clears throat> 
in our relationship with people if we're going to actually walk through the suffering that he has for it. And like basically what we see is that in suffering, there are at least three um, areas where we need to guard ourselves in the midst of suffering. And if you're going through suffering right now, these are the areas that are going to be most prevalent upon your, um, uh, upon the temptations to break down. First, you need to guard your heart. You need to, number two, guard your tongue. And then number three, you need to guard your mind. Okay. You need to guard your tongue. You need to guard your heart and then you need to guard your mind. Proverbs 10, 12. Why do we need to guard our heart in the midst of um, suffering? He, because he says, hatred stirs up strife. Hatred stirs up strife. Hatred doesn't come from like nowhere. It often is a response to something, right? It's a response to something you've experienced. It's a response to something you've been fed. It's a response to something that you're, you know, sometimes it's illogical. You can have a hatred towards other people. You can sometimes turn your enmity towards God. I'm done with you because you've disappointed me. He said, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers over all offenses. First of all, that's a guarding of your heart to actually be able to put down hatred with people both that you know and that you don't know, it actually takes some suffering. Has anybody been, can anybody be honest with me? Has anyone ever been tempted before to hate someone? Come on now. Come on, we're, Christian, be, be honest. <laughs> we don't like to think of ourselves that way, but it's true. I've been tempted to so, we say, I don't hate anyone, but I so dislike them that I have a vitriolic reaction every time I see them or hear their name, but I don't hate them. <laughs> okay, guys. <laughs> to actually not hate somebody, you've got to suffer in your body and actually say the wrong that has been done to me, whether it be perceived or real, I've got to be able to cover over. Not some, but all offenses against me. This was represented at the cross, was it not? That all the things that were committed unjustifiably against the living God, the sinless Lamb of God, it was covered over because of his love and his blood that was shed. But it takes suffering in your body to do that. It actually takes a commanding of your own spirit and your own soul, like just like the psalmist where he says, awake, O my soul, and arise with the dawn, right? I will worship the Lord. There's something that we need to get inside of us that you don't aren't carried along by your emotions, but you begin to command your emotions in the midst of suffering to come in alignment with the word of God. Where you say, even though, not in spite, not, not because I haven't experienced anything, but even though I've been offended or violated or done wrong in this way, I'm choosing by the grace of God to cover over the offense. Why? Because it's the grace that was shown to me. And I choose to pardon only because I'm choosing to be an imitator of God. And not because they deserve it, not because they're asking for it, but I refuse to be imprisoned by their sin. 
I refuse to be imprisoned by the sin thrust upon me. I'm going to be free in Jesus, and I'm going to be in the conduit that helps set them free by covering over offenses. All offenses, not just the ones that I feel are legitimate or that I can handle. And you better believe emotionally that takes suffering emotionally, you feel like you're being wronged over and over again. When you see them and you've offered forgiveness to somebody who's violated or harmed you or taken advantage of you and you're looking at them and you say, I pardon you, I forgive you, I release you, that's suffering in your body. But you know what? If you're willing to suffer in that way, you'll be done with sin. You'll be done with the lack of forgiveness. You'll be done with the bitterness that grows up inside of us to cause trouble and defile many people. You can pardon anyone who's violated you. Can I, can I say that? You can pardon anyone who's taken advantage of you. We might not think it's possible, but God says it is. I'll give you the grace to do that. It starts with suffering in your heart. It also goes to suffering with your tongue. Proverbs 17, 9, he actually says, whoever covers an offense. You see this over and over again, the covering, the blood of Jesus, right? What's that which washes us and covers us? He says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Whoever covers a matter, and what, what does that mean, cover a matter? It means that you quarantine the issue. If you're going to be free, you can't be talking about it all the time and spreading the, the poison that was offered to you, right? But that's what we are naturally tempted to do. Anybody with me there? We're naturally tempted to talk about our pain or our violation with any and everybody who will listen to us, anybody who will key a car with us. We want to share it with people who will be able to understand and justify our pain, right? And to actually keep our mouths shut when necessary. Not, not, what I'm not talking about is not going to counsel. I'm not talking about don't ever go to a counselor. We believe in Christian counseling. Everybody say amen to that. We believe in brothers and sisters, even in these community groups, walking through life together and going to God together in our times of need to get healing, right? But there's a difference between having specific people that we're walking through things with and then having a loose tongue that's basically spreading the poison that was introduced to us. And to keep our mouths closed at some time, sometimes to not actually spread the slander and the gossip that's going to damage others as we've been damaged, then what happens is it takes suffering in our bodies, suffering with our tongue. That's why James talked about it so much, right? The tongue is a world of evil, setting the whole life on fire. Suffer with that tongue. <laughs> And sometimes, has anybody ever, ever had to like physically bite their tongue before? <laughs> I will not say that. <laughs> I will not separate those people. I will not pay the pain forward, right? We're always talking about paying it forward in a good way, but so many people don't acknowledge that they pay the pain forward by what comes off of their tongues. 
suffering with your tongue. And then number three, finally, going back to 1 Peter, he said, the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins. Not some, but a multitude. And that stinks once again. It means that there wasn't one offense, wasn't two offenses, there weren't three disappointments. When you get the word to the word multitude, right? Multitude means many. Over and over and over again, right? And love covers over a multitude of sins. And to, the only way that I'm going to be able to survive a multitude is if I sur- get it in my mind that that's going to be true. I've got to prepare myself mentally for that, right? Because if you're in a fight, any, anybody ever just like kickbox in here? Like go to the like things? And, yeah, okay, that's fine. All right, so it's sort of like if you're in a ring, okay, you can imagine this. If you're in a ring and all you imagine, like, imagine is that it's going to be one round, right? I'm only going to have to fight one round. Then you're like, boom, boom, boom. The bell rings. You might have taken a few hits, given a few hits back, right? You're like, woo! Right? But then you're like at your bench getting your water, getting like cleaned off and everything. You're like, yeah, I did something. But then the bell rings again. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're we're still fighting? (laughs) You know? And then you go back into it. And then if you're not mentally prepared for that, right? You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And you get start getting whipped. Why? Because you didn't prepare your mind for action. You didn't prepare that there was suffering until that day, that, um, the, that fight is literally over. Until your day is done. Until you see Jesus face to face. These are the things that you're going to go through. These are the things that you need to be prepared in your walk with him to endure and walk through until you see him face to face. And at that time, there'll be no more suffering, no more crying, no more pain, because he's going to make all things new. That's the good news. That's what we're headed towards. But in the meantime, there's a fight of faith. There is a fight of faith. That's how the Bible describes it. That's biblical terminology. And when he says it, he means it. It's a fight of faith. And unless you're willing to fight, unless you're willing to suffer, you are will ultimately find yourself in sin and backtracking. But as we're talking about the scripture, he says, here's the good news. I've made you more than conquerors. More than conquerors. Not just a conqueror, more than a conqueror. Through Christ Jesus who loves you. So that neither present nor future, life nor death, angels nor demons nor anything can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. That in the midst of your suffering, he loves you. He loved the son, he loves you. And he said, just like Jesus resurrected from the dead, he said, you'll be more than a conqueror through him who loves you, if you have the mindset that it's a fight and you're going to win, you're going to be more than a conqueror if you do not give up. That's the charge to the Christian. Jesus did it all. He said at the end of the day on that cross, it is finished. 
everything that I need to do for their righteousness, for their salvation, for their forgiveness, it's been done on the cross. What is our charge now? Don't give up. Don't give up. It does not mean that it does not hurt. It does not mean that there's not pain. It does not mean that there aren't trials. But he says, you've got to theologically get this in you. This needs to be part of your theological foundation. Because if you don't have this as part of your theological foundation, not if, but when the hurt comes, you'll find yourself medicating yourself. You'll find yourself drowning yourself. You'll find yourself trying to pacify yourself with all other things except the living God who actually gives life to the dead. He understands. He understands. But if we're not willing to suffer, we won't be willing to do what's right. Fruit of the Holy Spirit, obviously, is love, joy, peace, and we get to patience. And patience means long-suffering. Anybody know that's what the word means? Patience means suffering a long time. Anybody ever think they were patient before until they actually went through a trial? But he said this is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, long-suffering. Going back to the gym example, no pain, no gain, right? Everybody throws that term around all the time, no pain, no gain. True physically, but we don't want it to be spiritually, Right? But you grow in strength, you grow in grace, you grow in stature, you grow in wisdom when you go through the pain and actually call on God and say, God, you're good. God, you're good. God, you're good. And just as the Father met Jesus, the Son, in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his pain, God, not just in this moment, even if you're not suffering in this moment, throughout your lifetime, God wants to meet you and be a comfort to you, be a strength to you, be a healer to you, be one who not only helps you through your trials and suffering, but then gives you the strength to declare his goodness to others who might be failing in the midst of their pain. I told you the story of my friend, but I'll tell you that I've not given up. I've talked to him for years now. I haven't talked to him for years now. But you know what? I'm still praying. I'm still believing. I'm still trying to find him. His numbers change, but that's all right. We have creepy ways of finding people nowadays. <laughs> so... And I know part of what knocked him off was his pain and him not, not knowing how to deal with his pain. But you know what? Got a good word. Got a good word for him that God meets us in the midst of our pain and he'll meet him too. And wherever you find yourself today, God, the sacrificial lamb, God, the resurrected Christ can meet you too. In Jesus' name, amen? All right, worship team.